couple years ago, I had the opportunity to take our high schoolers and some of our college students to Summit, which is a worldview and apologetics camp in Colorado Springs. And uh, this is a very intense uh, camp. They fly in some of the top-notch speakers from all of the country who are believers, and they challenge the students on their faith and help them to grow in their faith and learn how to uh, defend their faith. And uh, when I was in college, I was actually a camp counselor there. Some of the best summers of my life were at Summit. But when I was there this past time, I picked up the book called So the Next Generation Will Know by Sean McDowell and Jay Warner Wallace, who are a couple of the speakers there. You may have heard of them. But I'm excited to, to share, and that's what our theme is for this weekend, but also the fact that Nick Fry is actually going to be a counselor at Summit this summer. And so I just wanted to highlight him a little bit and his heart uh, for God and what he's going to be doing there. Uh, Nick has been here at Edgewood for several, several years now and has just grown in his faith so much. He is now a small group leader with our high school guys. He uh, helps out in the band. He's helped teaching before, all these different things. And this is what we want to see our young people when we think about the next generation. We want to see them following in students' footsteps like Nick. And so I'm super proud of him. And so I just want to pray with him um, and over him as we commission him to send him off in a couple weeks and has he be a camp counselor, having good, hard conversations with these kids, but also uh, just being a great example to them. So let me pray for, for Nick. God, thank you so much uh, for Nick, his heart for you. Lord, thank you for using him here in a mighty way. Lord, for saving him and for continuing to be working in his life, uh, following you and helping others to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would go before him this summer and that you would use him in a mighty way. Lord, I pray that you would help him, uh, Lord, as he grows in his faith, and, and uh, I pray that you would help him give good answers to tough questions, Lord, and you would just uh, fill him with your spirit as he uh, works with those other, uh, these other guys and other students, Lord, uh, this summer. Lord, I pray that uh, you would just be with him, be with his family, Lord, as he's away, and bless him, Father. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. All right, man, thanks. All right, last week, Pastor Brian uh, got us into the first of the Ten Commandments with the series Written in Stone. This week, we're going to veer off from that just a little bit, but the passages we're going to look at today actually go really well with the Ten Commandments. But last week, we learned that we are to have no other gods before the one true God. And he said this, if God is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. A very convicting saying there. Now, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, so if you'd like to turn there, you could look on the screens. But a little bit of context, verses 1 through 3 of this passage. It's telling the children of Israel, They have to follow God's commands in order that it may go well with them and for future generations. It starts with them there and now. So Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way And when you sit down, when you lie down, and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now, this passage of Scripture is known as the Shema, which means to hear. It was often recited along with Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21, and Numbers 15, 37 through 41 as a morning and evening prayer. And they all knew this and took that to heart. 
So let's break this down verse by verse. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So last week's sermon, again, says there is only one God. There should be no other gods before the one true God. This was foundational for God's people. It's foundational for us today. There would be no other gods or things that are vying for the attention of God in our lives. One commentary says this. This verse gave expression to what was the heart of Israel's confession, namely that Yahweh was not a pantheon of gods, but one. He was therefore to be the sole object of Israel's faith and obedience. Nor was she to forget Yahweh or attempt to share her allegiance with other gods in days of prosperity. Moreover, she was to ensure continuity of this allegiance and this covenant faith by diligently teaching her children. There's to understand that God is one. There's one true God. You must teach that to your children in order to send that to the next generation. Verse five, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. A very well-known verse in scripture. So you think about this, it's more of a positive way to the negative commands of the first two commandments, talking about you should have no other gods and have no idols. So this is all about relationship. It's a relationship based on love. It's not about legalism. So when we think about loving relationship with our God, it's different than other, other religions, namely Islam, when I think of, and Allah, when you think of a God of anger, judgment, wrath. Does our God exude those types of things? Well, wrath, judgment, yes, we see that. But it's also love. It's balance. It's part of his attributes of who he is. And he is the embodiment of love. We see that in 1 John 4 when it says, God is love. This verse is described by Jesus as the first and greatest commandment in three different gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So it's all over scripture. Last week, we did a thing called Secret Church with their young adults. So this is a live simulcast teaching with David Platt. And uh, we were focusing on missions on that night. But the, one of the first things that he talked about was the great commandment. We studied scripture for a long time that night. But this is a, one of the first things he wants to understand was this. True happiness and a fulfilled life are found in the great commandment. As human beings, we have this God-shaped hole in all of our lives. And we try to fill it with all these other things, right? But it's only God who can truly fulfill us and give us truly happy and blessed life. So the extent of a man's love for God was to be total. Israel was to love God with her whole being. The expression with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might is a favorite one in Deuteronomy. You see it all over there in those verses. Think about the heart and the soul for a minute. The heart was regarded as the seat of the mind and will as well as a wide range of emotions. The term soul seems to refer to the source of life and vitality, a living being or a living soul. We're supposed to love God with our heart, with our soul, with who we are, our very being. And a man is to love God with unreserved devotion. So ask yourself this question this morning as we talk about love for God. Who or what do you love? Who or what do you love the most? Verse six, and these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. They become part of who you are as a person, as a follower. And the test of a man's love for Jesus is that he keeps his commandments. Jesus actually talks about this in John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So it does matter what we do. There aren't just feelings of love, it's obedience that is involved. And only a love that is undivided can be called love in its truest sense. Now we want to camp out here in verse 7 for a lot of the time here. 
You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So to contextualize this for us today, think about, you know, today authority is viewed a little differently than in the past. This has its pros and cons, but ultimately this is what I want us to understand. Relationship is the key to reaching this next generation. Relationship with them. It's more of just saying, do as I say type things. Because I told you to type things. We have to have a relationship with them. So if you're a parent or a grandparent or a teacher or a coach or a counselor here today, you have an influence on the next generation. So let's start with parents. Parents, are you giving your children a picture of what it means to love God and follow him? If we were to come into your home and ask your children, what would they say is the most important thing to you? What do you talk about the most? How do you define success in your home with your children? Francis Channon says in his book, Crazy Love, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. And how many of us stress these types of things with our kids to succeed in life and things that don't really matter that much. We can think of many things like that, but we all do that to some extent. We need to make sure they understand what truly matters. So relationship is key. Secondly, a godly example is needed to be authentic and real. One thing I know about this next generation of younger people is that they can spot a fake from a mile away. You need to make sure you're real and you're authentic. When I think about my parents and grandparents growing up, they were an amazing example of what it means to be real and authentic. My dad has been a pastor for over 30 years, and uh, one thing I can safely say about him is he was the same man at home as he was behind the pulpit, that godly example. My mom prayed for us, her kids, every single day of her life. Somebody asks you this question, do you practice what you preach? Relationship and godly example is key if we're going to make a difference in the next generation. And then, of course, teaching and training as we see in that verse right there. So what do we teach the next generation? What do we teach our children? What do they need to know? Well, of course, thinking about the stories of Scripture, those Bible stories you think about that you learned as a child, make sure they know those, they understand those. They need to know about the moral laws of God. Pastor Brian has been in this series, Written in Stone. Take that bookmark in front of you, uh, in the seat back in front of you, and Memorize that as a family. Make sure your children know what those laws are. What else do they need to know? They need to know the way of salvation, that we are sinful and we are in need of a Savior. But Jesus came, he died for us, he gave us a way of salvation. We need to know the teachings of Jesus. We need to know how to follow him and to help others to follow him as well, being a disciple. So when I think of all of that, all those things together, It's an ongoing topic of conversation in the home, picking up where you left off each time. We should be constantly talking about God and how much we need him, like we actually need him and want him. The command to teach the family the laws of God was repeated multiple times throughout the book of Deuteronomy and throughout scripture, and that is something that I take very seriously as a leader and as a father. So when I think about my family, my wife and I have Three boys, and our heart's desire is to pass on the faith to our children. You can see them there on the screen. They're so cute, but they're also a little naughty as well. Don't let them fool you. But, my wife, uh, but God has given my wife and I young men to raise, and we want to raise good, godly men. And that is something that is severely lacking in our society today. There's so much apathy 
so much hurt that men cause. So many men not stepping up and taking that role of leadership in their homes and in our culture today. I want to raise good, godly men that follow Jesus and help others to follow him as well. So some of the things that we do as a family, some of the things that God has laid on our hearts that we do that help us in teaching and raising our children. This past year, we have been homeschooling our kids, uh, partly because of the pandemic, but it's been such a good thing for our family. But before we start school every day, my wife reads a couple psalms to the boys to get them in the right mindset, make them understand that this is really the most important thing. We try to eat as many meals together as we can around the table. Now, that doesn't always happen, but we do our best to do that. And that's free from television and devices, so we can talk and ask them about their day and what they're learning and how God is working in their lives. Our boys learn scripture through our WANA program here at Edgewood. But not only learning scripture memorizing, but asking them, how does this actually apply to your life? Even asking them that as children. I want to give props to Sheila and, the, and all the, the workers for our WANA program here and volunteers. Man, they've done an amazing job this year. It's been a tough year, but they've made it happen. We did our awards this past Wednesday night, so let's give them a hand, man. They did such a phenomenal job. I was in Awana as a kid, and I wanted my kids to be a part of that and learn scripture. Those verses are still with me today. One of the other things that we do is read the word before bed as often as we can. The other night, my son said to me, Dad, I love it when you read the Bible to us. Can you read to us tonight? So of course, of course I will do that for you. We also try to answer their questions Whenever those questions arise, no matter how big or small, easy or hard, we don't push those aside and say, oh, that can wait till another time, or we'll discuss that when you're older. No, we want to talk about that now because it's important to them right now and in that moment. My son Emery, when he was younger, I think he was probably about three years old, one time he got a cut or on his hand, and of course we call it a boo-boo, and um, he asked this question with tears in his eyes, why did God let this happen? He went deep really fast. As a parent, you're like, oh my word, how are we already there? But let's think seriously about that question for a minute. That is one of the hardest questions in life. Why is there pain and suffering in our world today? And that's one of the questions that so many people struggle with and deal with. So let's deal with it now when they're kids so they can at least have a foundation of what that means. Now, In verses 20 through 25 of Deuteronomy 6, we actually have a son asking a father a question. So I wanted to read this part of this passage. When your son asks you in the time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, great and grievous, against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out from there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers. And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God, for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. So we obey God's commands not just because he said so, not just because we're told to, because it is for our good always. It's for our preservation. It's for our protection. It'll be righteousness for us. 
So when we talk about this to our children and we talk about obedience and we have rules in our homes, we do that not just because we said so, but because it's for our good and our preservation and protection. And he even says righteousness for us. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law and gave his righteousness to all those who believe in his name and his perfect sinless sacrifice for us. He gave us his righteousness. Verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, if this was a metaphor, Jews eventually took this literally and placed scrolls with the Shema written on them, and they put it in these leather cubes called phylacteries, and they would attach them to their, to their heads, to their arms. This even became a problem of legalism because it became more about those than about what was written on the scrolls. They also placed these in containers that would be fastened to doorposts of house, houses and gates. But unfortunately, like many practices, this became an issue of legalism that Jesus actually talked about in the New Testament as well. For today, what does that mean for us? The word must always be before us. We need it. Now, perhaps you have in your home verses posted on plaques or on paintings throughout your house. Maybe you even have those three-by-five cards that you write verses on and put them in your kitchen or bathroom or in a dash of your car, places that you'll see, and that's the idea. It's always having the word before us, so we'll always see it, we'll always um, remember it. But we also need to memorize it, put it in our hearts, so we'll have it wherever we go at any point in time. So why is being inundated with the word such a big deal? Well, Israel had a history of failure when it came to this, passing on God's laws to their children and to their children. And we as the church, we are on the brink of doing likewise. Today, for the first time ever, less than 50% of people are in church. There's many statistics that talk about a post-Christian culture One of these that I've been dealing with for several years, ever since being in student ministry, is this, the fact that somewhere in the vicinity of 60 to 85% of young adults will walk away from their faith at some point, whether that's going to college or the workforce, and many of them never return to that faith. So what do you do with that? Are we passing on our faith to the next generation? Are we teaching them as God's word has said, told us to do? Now, we need to know and understand this generation if we're going to be able to help them in the way that need, need to go. So this generation we call Gen Z. So this is those students who were born after the year 2000. We want to look at a few more things. Some of these are pretty sobering. We see this 13% today claim atheism as opposed to 7% from the generation before them. So half. Only 33% attend church. 9% are engaged Christians, but only 4% hold a truly biblical worldview. When it comes to all the things in Scripture, only 4% are actually following that. Sean McDowell says in the book, so the next generation will know, if we do not consciously equip young Christians with a biblical worldview, they will unconsciously absorb the ideas of today's culture, and that's where we're at right now. That's what we're seeing. Now, when it comes to teaching on God and the person of Jesus, they still mostly agree with generations before them. But what we're seeing the shift in is these cultural issues that are being taken out of what Scripture says. Some other things 
So even though this generation is increasingly godless, they are looking for meaning and purpose. That's high on their priority list. That's why we see so many of them join up with causes or movements. They want something bigger than themselves. Many of them are actually deeply spiritual, but they have more of a buffet approach to their spirituality. They don't really want to go to church or be a part of organized religion. Of course, because of all of this, there's increased anxiety and depression today, as well as suicide and violence. Think about technology, social media, cultural shifts, godlessness, and the enemy is out to get them. A couple other things. 26% spend eight or more hours a day on a screen. 31% spend four to eight hours. I mean, this is, they're living their lives out on screens and social media. That's where their relationships are even being built. This is the first generation to say that their friend group is just as important to their sense of self as family is. And one in 16s today, from a recent Gallup poll, claim to be bisexual. Now, why is this? Does this mean more and more people today are actually bisexual or gay? Well, not necessarily, but it's just way more socially acceptable. I mean, you think about our culture and the pendulum, how it swings. We have things that in the past were offensive, but now they're not only accepted, but now they're celebrated. And so we have a generation that says, well, I don't want to be known as a a bigot or or a hater, so I'll explore my options and relationships and see what it's like and see what I like. We see this more and more in kids' movies and shows with introducing new LGBTQ characters. Our culture is changing. It's completely different than it used to be. So we have to know that and understand that and meet them where they are. So there's hard questions today. There's increased apathy and the cultural shifts are changing at an exponential rate. Not to mention the things that are dividing the church today. Think of politics and COVID protocol. We're still talking about all these things. Issues of sexual identity and race relations. And on top of all that, there's temptation at every turn. So I'm going to take a minute to talk about a hidden problem in churches today. This isn't just a problem out there. This is a problem in here. It's not just an issue with Gen Z or young adults. It's an issue with all generations. This is the issue of pornography. In this day and age, we can hide it so that no one will know on our devices. There's so much shame and guilt that comes with this, and no one wants to talk about it. Let's look at a few statistics with this. I got these from Just One Click Away, Fight the New Drug, and Covenant Eyes. These are a few years old, but look at these. 24 million pornographic websites out there today. Over 100,000 are illegal child pornography. And some have said up to 40% of internet traffic is pornographic in nature. That's the world our, this generation is growing up in. Now, what about individuals? 51% of males and 32% of females viewed porn before they were teenagers. 67% of guys and 49% of girls college age consider viewing porn as, as acceptable behavior. Those are the only ones that are saying it's acceptable. That doesn't mention the ones that actually watch it but actually don't want to be watching, but they do anyways. And then this, 60% of Christian men, and 40% of Christian women struggle with pornography. It's a problem in our church today. 40% of porn sex addicts lose their jobs. 58% suffer considerable financial losses. And porn increases marital infidelity by 300%. This is bad news. 
can obviously cause feelings of shame, loneliness, depression, and the numbers are way up since the pandemic. All the isolation of people in their homes, more time on their hands, this issue is getting worse. This continues to get worse. Why else is this such a big deal? Well, it gives out unrealistic expectations of love and sex. Porn addiction can actually rewire your brain so that you want it like a drug. It's an addiction in the worst way. And this one, if that's not enough to stop you or to reconsider, think of this. We think it's only affecting us, but studies show that when we view porn, we are increasing the demand of exploitation and sex trafficking. There's so many people, part of that industry, that don't want to be a part of it, but we increase that demand when we view it. When I think about the things that we're supposed to be passing on to our children, the laws of God, commands of God, the teachings of Jesus, I wonder if, if more so we're just actually passing on our sins to the next generation, and this being one of them. Ask yourself as a parent, especially as a father, is this something that you want your children to struggle with? You need to deal with it now and talk to your kids about it now. So there are solutions and there's hope. There's accountability with others. So one of the things the enemy wants us to do is believe that no one else struggles with this, but we know that more people struggle with this than we think. So we need to get accountability. We need to share this with someone else and get the help that we need. There are programs like Celebrate Recovery that deal with pornography in particular. And then there's these different things today for software on our devices that you can have, Covenant Eyes, Truple, Triple X Church, these different ways to get the accountability you need to get the help that you need. Sometimes it takes drastic measures to deal with an issue like this, and sometimes that is what we need to do. So parents, do not give your students, your kids, unfettered access on their phones. Even if they're not looking for it, they will come across it, and those things pop up. What else can we do? Well, Psalm 119, 11 gives another prescription. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to fight temptation in your life? Fight the sin in your life? Memorize the word. Make sure it's deep within you so that when temptation comes, you can refute it with scripture, just like Jesus did. He showed us the way in doing that. So the word, church, must constantly be on our minds and hearts or we will stray. We're no different than Israel for not continuing to learn and to teach the next generation. So what do you talk about? What do you look at? What kind of environment do you foster in your home? Ultimately, ask yourself this question, who is your God? So many times we tend to make God into our image and make him look like what we want him to be. Psalm 50, 21 says, you thought I was like you. So what do you talk about in your homes? What kind of picture of God have you given to your children to see? Intentional discipleship, we've been talking about it a lot these past few months. But first and foremost, you need to be making disciples in your home with your own children. Yes, I know and understand that it's gonna be their decision if they want to follow Jesus or not. But there's so much we can do to help them to get to that point. So are you making disciples? And here's the thing to understand. As followers of Jesus, there are not different levels of disciples. There's different maturity levels, yes. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you're called to make more disciples. It's that simple. We see that in the Great Commission. 
So some action steps, a little bit of review. Pursue deeper relationships with those around you, especially this next generation. Be a godly example for them. Make sure you practice what you preach and teach the next generation as you gather, grow, and give, or sorry, gather, grow, give, and go with the gospel. They need those things. Relationships, example, and teaching and training. They need to know and understand that. Now, a lot of these things we look at have been a little sobering, right? The future may look bleak, but I believe it is bright. I've been working with young adults and students for the last 10 years or so. I've seen God working among the young adults, the students here. They're serving in the church. They're up, they're up here on the stage. They're planning worship nights and prayer nights. They're getting together constantly to fellowship and encourage one another. They're growing in their faith. They're sharing Jesus with others. They love going deep. And we have multiple young adults right now who are seeking God's guidance and going on the mission field and spreading the gospel to all nations. I believe in the next couple of years here at Edgewood, we're going to see a wave of young adults who are going to pursue full-time ministry, pursue missions, and pursue making disciples in their workplaces and at their schools because they're taking it seriously here. We want that to spread to others as well. So you may ask that question, how can I fan the flame? How can I help in this way? And maybe you're thinking here today, well, I'm not a parent or a grandparent, and I don't have a lot of time with, you know, this Gen Z next generation. Well, here's some things that you can do. This is not just for parents. You can teach in our children's ministry here at Edgewood. You can teach in the student ministry and help lead small groups for them. We've only had the 9 a.m. children's ministry kids' church for the last several months because we haven't had enough servants Hopefully, we'll be opening up the 5 and the 1045 soon, but we need people like you in this room who say, I'm going to help teach the next generation what it means to follow God. Intentional discipleship here at Edgewood. It's a program that we've started now. We have probably over 50 people involved with this in some way, so maybe you're thinking, I can disciple younger believers, or I want to be discipled by an older believer. This is something you can be involved with right now to touch this generation. So you can write that on that card and turn that in. Next year, we're hoping to start a gap year program for young adults who want to be involved in what it's like to be uh, serving at a church. Hopefully, we're going to start this where we have uh, young adults as interns here, and then they serve locally and then globally, and they know, they get a full picture of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, not just here in this context, but to the ends of the earth. And then lastly, We've been talking about this a little bit, but now we have an opportunity for you to give to the Ministry Scholarship Fund. And this is for those students, young adults, who want to pursue full-time Christian service. And this is a way that we can prayerfully come alongside them financially, help them. So you, on your app or on the website, you can go to giving. And then once you click there, you can go to give now through PushPay. And then you can click Ministry Scholarship and give to that. And we're We've established this fund to come alongside those young adults who are interested in full-time service. Like I said, we're going to see more and more rising up in this generation because we emphasize those things so much, what it means to follow God, make disciples who make disciples. I'm so excited to see that. Psalm 48, 12 through 14 says this, Walk about Zion, go around her, number her towers, consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Maybe you've heard that saying, is Christianity just one generation away from extinction? 
well, yeah, if we just stopped teaching the next generation. But at the same time, God's will and purposes will prevail. He says that in Scripture. We can see the end. One day there will be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation there worshiping God, and we're going to be a part of that. Last verse, Psalm 78, 5 through 7. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach to their children, that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise and tell them to their children, so that they should set their hopes in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. See, when we teach the next generation and they get it, they're going to pass it to the next generation, to children who are not even born yet. Wow, I love that. So, does God expect any less of us today than he did the children of Israel? No, he does not. We must continue to pass on the faith to the next generation. Relationships, godly example, teaching, and training. God, thank you for this time together. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for your word, how it challenges us, but not only us personally, Lord, but thinking about those that are coming after us, the next generation, Lord, how we must pass on the faith. Lord, I pray that you would be with everyone in this room, that you would challenge them to reevaluate our priorities if things need to change. Lord, I pray that there's unconfessed sin, Lord, that we would just give that to you, lay that before you and turn from it and turn back to you and run to you. Lord, we're not going to make a difference in this next generation if we're we're drowning in sin ourselves. Lord, I pray that you would help everyone in this room to take that very seriously. God, we thank you for your sacrifice for us. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood. In the midst of our sin, Lord, you died for us. You rose again, giving us a way of salvation with you. We thank you for that today. In your name we pray, amen.